was on fire No one could save me but you Strange what desire make foolish people do What a wicked game you play To make me feel this way What a wicked thing to do To let me dream of you What a wicked thing to say You never felt this way Save me from you Strange what desire will make foolish people do She's amazing, isn't she? I don't think any of you have really listened to the words. I mean, it sounds like it's just a love song. May just be lo a love song. But 
what is it that you love, right? So <laughs> welcome everyone. And I'm sorry for the delay. Uh, it took forever to get my suitcases and actually find my vehicle. Um, so I'm back home for the day and <laughs> I have so much to talk about, but I want to run through some news. Okay. Uh, some news that are really, really important to us, the people. And I have to say, being in New York, uh, it was disheartening to see that the Empire State is the trying to be the new capital of the empire. Take that as you will. It was sad, um, Yet bittersweet. I miss the smell of hot garbage and rats. I, you know, I am from there. I love New York. And um, it was very sad. But it was good. It was fruitful. It was uh, a great uh, meeting of the minds. Um, some of our attorneys got together, all kind of brainstormed. Because we all have our own set of skills. Welders, nurses, doctors, lawyers, bakers, moms, homemakers, right? We all have a set of skills that we bring to the table, no matter what they are. And no skill is less important than the other. And so... Um, I have to say that what is unfolding <laughs> by the end of this month is going to be pretty extraordinary. These are unprecedented times. These are times where, you know, the world is literally on fire. There's so much going on, but now they're realizing that they underestimated the people. And slowly but surely, they will hear us even louder. And a good example of that is the fantastic um, police union. Now, we know that unions are uh, owned by the, by the Democrats, right? They were the arm of the Democrats to be able to introduce these communist policies. Uh, but, but... They weren't designed by them for that. They were designed to be able to maintain the control among the employees, right? This was the idea. Uh, road to hell is paved with very, very good intentions. And so they take that idea and they make it a cash cow for them, right? We've gone over this many times. We did the whole Jimmy Hoffa story. Uh, that was very important because the unions are now coming to the forefront. Chicago is at a standstill with this vaccine mandate. And what they want to call it is, this is a health security concern. And it's all stupid. There's no security and health that go together. You can't label someone a biohazard without a live version of the freaking virus. You can't do that. You can't. But here's what's happening. The issue is coming to a head in multiple cities. Some police officers are resisting COVID vaccine mandates, potentially leaving their departments and their cities shorthanded. The issue is especially acute in Chicago, where homicides are up 55 percent, shootings up 68 percent since 2019. CBS's Charlie DeMar 
has more. If you can financially sustain a hit, then stick to your guns, take the hit, and we will fight it. Chicago Police Union President John Catanzara is urging officers to ignore the looming deadline to report their vaccine status to the city. He's predicting if the city tries to punish officers for not complying, only half will show up to patrol city streets. Any sergeant, lieutenant, captain or above who gives you an order to go in that portal is not valid. You are able to refuse that order. Can officers ignore direct orders from a supervisor? They do so at their peril. Insubordination is not something that we can tolerate. Right? The policy announced by Mayor Lori Lightfoot in August requires all city employees to be fully vaccinated by tonight's deadline or risk being placed on no pay status. Workers can be unvaccinated through the end of the year if they undergo regular testing off the clock and out of their own pocket. The mayor insists the city will be safe. Should citizens of Chicago be worried about their safety? No, they, they, they shouldn't be. Obviously, we have contingency plans in place if they are necessary, but I'm confident that they're not going to be necessary. It is not only Chicago police officers facing vaccine mandates. Hundreds of officers in Seattle and San Francisco could lose their jobs if they don't submit their vaccination status. Chicago Alderman Anthony Beal, a critic of Mayor Lightfoot, is worried about safety this weekend. I implore that the governor of this great state of Illinois declare a state of emergency. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker has said the National Guard is at the ready, but Mayor Lori Lightfoot has yet to request it. And this past year, COVID-19 is the number one cause of death amongst officers nationwide. Major? Charlie DeMar, thank you. Huh. Kind of sounds like uh, martial law. Oh, if the cops don't show up, then we'll just bring the soldiers and they'll hold you accountable. We'll have them out there with our M16s after a lot of people die just to make it worthy of such. The other guy who's a critic is asking for a state of emergency. You mean more money? Your state's so broke you give IOUs for lotteries. It's not going to happen. The people won't let it happen. Because (laughs) the people are actually fed up. They're fed up. And now all those that got the JJ vaccine are kind of, you know, concerned. Because now they want to mix the vaccines or start to create secondary boosters for JJ. Um, JJ isn't like the others. So why? It's a lipid transfer. It's so weird. So weird. But. I'm going to take you back in time so you can understand all of these things before we sit down and have like a little roundtable discussion of uh, the health of our nation at this moment, which is obviously on life support. (laughs) We are on life support. But CNN reported that um, fully vaccinated foreign visitors can now enter the United States and how they're discussing the approval. They're discussing a vote on the JJ vaccine booster shots. I don't know how they're doing that when they ban the JJ, so I'm really confused. Maybe someone can help. Advisors to the FDA are meeting right now to consider whether to authorize booster shots for millions millions more Americans. This time, it's those who received the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Just yesterday, the FDA advisory panel voted unanimously to recommend authorization for Moderna's booster shot. CNN's Elizabeth Cohen is back with us. She's watching this. Elizabeth, walk us through what's what's going to happen today. 
Kate, they're going to have the same sort of investigation into all the details about whether boosters are necessary, whether they're helpful, whether they're effective, whether they're safe. But this time, the discussion will be about Johnson & Johnson instead of Moderna or Pfizer. So Pfizer, uh, now, if you've had Pfizer more than six months ago and you fall into certain high, certain high risk categories, you can get a booster as we speak. Yesterday, that was set in motion for Moderna, and now they're looking at Johnson & Johnson. I was speaking with the chair of the committee that's doing this work, a, a panel of outside uh, vaccine advisors to the FDA, and he said, look, it's, it's really important for Johnson & Johnson that people get that second shot. Let's take a look at what Donald, Dr. Arnold Monto had to say. He told me it's critical to get the J&J people more protected. They are starting at a lower level of protection. Let's take a look at what Dr. Monto meant. Moderna and Pfizer, soon after your original shots with them, you're about 94 to 95% effect, uh, protected against getting sick with COVID-19. But for Johnson & Johnson, soon after vaccination, it's 72%. That's still a good number, but it's not as good as Moderna and Pfizer. That's why Dr. Montev said that. Also at this meeting, we're expected to hear a discussion about mixing and matching. For example, if you got Johnson & Johnson the first time around, let's say six months ago, could you now get Pfizer or Moderna a booster? It's just a discussion. No decisions will be made. What's interesting is that a, a study, a relatively small study of about 450 people, it actually showed that folks who got Johnson & Johnson the first time, they were actually better off if their booster were Pfizer or Moderna. Kate? Fascinating. Thank you, Elizabeth. We're going to be watching this. Elizabeth is tracking these meetings very closely for us. Joining me right now, in the meantime, CNN medical analyst, Dr. Lena Wen, former health commissioner for the city of Baltimore. So, Dr. Wen, we know Pfizer's booster got the green light. Moderna is, you know, the same, headed there. Is it a given in your mind that Johnson & Johnson's booster will be authorized as well? It really needs to be because, first of all, there are 15 million Americans, myself included, who got the one-dose Johnson & Johnson vaccine, who have really had no guidance throughout, even though we're seeing the data come out that the one-dose regimen is not nearly as effective as the two doses of Pfizer or Moderna. Also, remember that back in August, immunocom... Remember, she was the one that said, get your vaccine and look at all these freedoms you can have. Compromised individuals were told if they got Pfizer or Moderna, they can go ahead and get that third dose. Even immunocompromised people who got the Johnson Johnson vaccine have not been told that even at that very basic level. So I would really hope that what the FDA does today at the at the minimum is to harmonize the J&J recommendations with Pfizer and Moderna to reduce confusion. They should at the very at, at the minimum say that Johnson Johnson recipients should also be able to get a booster six months out. Now, there's a question of maybe they should get a booster sooner. Um, maybe also, as Elizabeth was reporting, they should be able to receive a mix and match approach with Pfizer or Moderna. I hope that that's also the case. But at a baseline, they should at least be told that they can also get a booster six months after that initial shot. What you say is so interesting because I've heard some doctors saying for a while now that J&J should really be considered a two-dose vaccine because of what ha is being seen in terms of waning immunity. What do you think of that? Because part of the draw to the J&J shot for so many was the convenience factor. That's right. And I still think that if I have a patient, for example, who I know is not going to get follow through, they're not going to come back for a second dose of the vaccine and they will really just get one vaccine 
then I would still recommend the Johnson Johnson vaccine to that person because one dose of J&J appears to be longer lasting to provide better protection than one dose of Pfizer or Moderna. But at the same time, we also know that one dose of J&J is just less effective even at baseline compared to the two doses of Pfizer and Moderna. And so I think there is an open question of should the J&J vaccine actually be at least a two-dose series? I'm not sure if that's what the FDA is going to get to in their conversations right. today, but I know that there are lots of recipients who just really want to know, what about me? What should I be doing now? Yeah. And I think an important number in all of this is what the CDC just put out. It kind of it's just kind of reframes things that I think are in an important way that unvaccinated adults in the United States, this is unvaccinated, face an 11 times higher risk of dying than fully vaccinated people and six times higher risk of getting COVID. This is from data that the CDC compiled in August. But what we're also so, so, so should McDonald's ban people that have diabetes because they have a hundred million time more risk to die of heart attack and not eat their food because someone's deciding it? That's a question. Seeing is that the number of booster shots being given is outpacing the number of first shots. What do you see in this? Well, of course, from a public health standpoint, we need to get the unvaccinated vaccinated. That's what's going to make the biggest difference in terms of driving down infection numbers and hospitalizations across the country. But that said, the vaccinated are being put at risk because of the high level of virus around us. And there are a lot of vaccinated people who want to get an additional level of protection as a result. I would want to get a booster as soon as that's allowed. And I'm, I think that it's, I actually don't think it's a problem that we have a large number of people getting boosted doses. I do think, though, that it's a problem that we're not getting as many people their first doses. Yeah. I mean, when you hear 11 times higher risk of dying from COVID, that's, I mean, that's something that should, that should impact a lot of people if you're unvaccinated. You know, there's another important aspect of this, which is still remains unanswered. It gets a little bit, you and I have talked about this a little bit, which is what is the goal of these vaccines? You know, Paul Offit, Dr. Offit, he he raised this again yesterday and saying, is the goal to protect against serious illness or is it to try and prevent getting infected in the first place? Why is this an important thing to get worked out? Where do you land on it? Yeah, you know, why is it so important? It's not even a vaccine. A vaccine means that you give me part of that live virus. Why are we calling it a vaccine? Oh, that's right. They changed the official definition, so they're calling it that because it suits them. It's kind of like, you know, in Monopoly, we said we have to do three rounds before we buy property. But because I landed on all all two blue ones, I got Boardwalk and Park Place. I'm changing the rules and you don't have to wait three rounds. You could do it on the first round. Let's just change the rules because it suits us. To me, this is not a scientific question. This is a value judgment, as in people like Dr. Offit, and I'm sure there are many Americans would say, hey, as long as I don't get very sick and don't end up in the hospital from COVID, I'm fine. I may not need to get a booster dose. But there are plenty of other people, and I am in that second camp, who would say, I don't want to get COVID at all. There's the potential for long-haul symptoms. Also, if I get ill, even if I'm not hospitalized, I have young kids. I don't want to transmit COVID to them. Also, I don't want to be out of commission and unable to work and unable to care for my children. There are a lot of us who want to get a booster for that reason. I do not think that it's the role of the federal government and our federal health officials to be telling Americans how we should value 
our lives and mm -hmm. our uh, ability to to get ill or prevent sickness. The role of our federal government should be to say, are these vaccines safe and effective? Is a booster safe and effective? If it is, then allow Americans to make that decision for themselves. Wait a minute. Allow them to make that decision for themselves. But she's the one that said, get these vaccines and you get all these freedoms. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. What was that called? It's called doublespeak. Hmm. Merck on Monday requested emergency authorization for its antiviral pill. This is a treatment pill if you get infected. You argue that even if this treatment might deter some from getting vaccinated because they would have a really effective way of getting, not getting too sick, you still argue if, if, if that deters people, even if it deters some people from getting vaccinated, that's no reason to hold back on approval. Why is that? Because we don't do that for any other aspect of medicine. We don't say to people, well, because there might be cardiac bypass surgery available, that might make someone not treat their blood pressure seriously. That could prevent that bypass from happening. Right? We don't say that because we know that treatment and prevention have to go hand in hand. Of course, we need to be doing everything we can to prevent people from getting COVID through vaccination. And I strongly believe in everything we need to do, including vaccine requirements in order to get there. But there are still going to be people who are unvaccinated. It's our job as physicians in the medical system to treat these individuals. Also, there are some people who are vaccinated who could still have breakthrough infections. And if they are medically fragile, if they're immunocompromised, they might need to take these treatments as well to prevent serious illness. That's really what medicine is about. We do not incentivize but treatment, or sorry, we do not incentivize prevention by denying people treatment. We recognize that we have to do both. Hmm. Thanks for being here, Dr. Wen. Just, just, just came from the woman that says, do this, nee, 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 and then speaking of doublespeak, you know, I, I said this a long, long time ago that uh, this uh, COVID was bringing up, uh, and it was very similar to that of, you know, the times of the Nazis and Hitler. And the reason it is so is because before they started killing Jewish people and putting them in concentration camps, they all agreed to wear identifying bands because it was the right thing to do, right? Who's the lesser citizen? Who complies? Who doesn't? And then they rounded him up. Well, you know how they like to change history? Well, what if I told you that teachers are now trying to bring other views in respect to the Holocaust. Maybe, I don't know, that it was a good thing that they killed people. And it was a good thing that people took orders and didn't think of life because they considered them a threat. So those people, <laughs> what would you say, Tori? No way. Well, what if I told you that in Texas, a teacher or teachers were told to teach these things to the kids. You'd be like, no way. Huh? Attended in North Texas apologizing after one of the district's administrators told teachers during a training session last week to balance books taught about the Holocaust with others that have a, quote, opposing perspective. Audio of that exchange, first reported by NBC News, was secretly recorded by a staff member and obtained by CNN. We hired you as professionals, we trust you with our children. So if as you go through, just try to remember the concepts of 3979 and make sure that if, if, if you have a book on the Holocaust, that you have one that has opposing, that has other books. How do you host the Holocaust? <laughs> Believe me, that's come up. So, so number the stars.
So while the administrator did not single out any one book, the book mentioned at the end of that clip, Number of the Stars, was published more than 30 years ago and has been used in schools as a literary introduction to the Holocaust for children for years. The book's author, the wonderful Lois Lowry, joins me now. Uh, first of all, as a parent uh, and as an avid reader, thank you for all you've done over the years and thank you for the joy you brought me and my children. <clears throat> what was it like for you to hear that discussion about the Holocaust? You know, at first I chuckled. It seems silly. At first they chuckled. You know, Texas is full of racists that want to kill Jews. See, that was the whole point of that. So we don't even need to listen to who, how she chuckled, right? We don't need to. Why? It's because they're losing. They're losing. They're losing. They're losing their vaccine arguments. Now they want to mix vaccines. The ones that had this mRNA, maybe we can clash it with another one. So we can raise antibodies because God's not smart enough. We are. Seems to suggest that actually mixing and matching is a good thing. That if you've had AstraZeneca or a J&J, getting a Pfizer shot has a really big impact. Yeah, so the, the study yesterday complements what we've already seen from the UK. The UK had uh, two separate studies that reported focused on the AstraZeneca shot with, uh, followed by Pfizer shot, because those are the ones that we are using mostly here. And that was only two doses. So one dose of Astra, one dose of Pfizer, 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 Astra. And the best was a dose of Astra followed by Pfizer. Now what we got yesterday from the US was, but what about Moderna? What about Johnson & Johnson? Remember, it's one dose. So of course, what ended up being the case is that when you look at antibody levels, if you give an mRNA vaccine, a Moderna or a Pfizer, to a um, person who had one dose of uh, J&J, they get much better antibody levels than if you just gave them a second shot of J&J. Now, timelines, you need to wait maybe a bit longer for J&J. Yeah. Whatever the answer is, this seems better. But Sam, if I'm not mistaken, what you're talking about is a traditional kind of vaccine and then your mRNA as, as that booster. What happens if you already got an mRNA? How do you mix and match? Yeah, so the, in, for that study, they, they did have a group of people who had either the Moderna or the Pfizer or the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. In the two groups who had the Moderna or the Pfizer, uh, whatever vaccine they gave them, they got a pretty good boost. Obviously, Moderna, because it's three times the dose that uh, of Pfizer, gives a much bigger boost. Um, but in fact, what I think is when you look at the totality of the data, remember, vaccines also need to be safe. Nobody wants a vaccine if they get knocked out for two days every time that they take it. And the Pfizer-BioNTech was the safest of the lot in that uh, study. Mm. In terms of what is happening next, we're trying to figure out what happens with kids. In the United States, Alex is very interested in finding out what happens with 5 to 12s. Uh, I've just had my 12-year-old uh, given a shot of the Pfizer. Now, in the UK, it's quite a small dose that they're giving, uh, and the rollout seems... Uh, to be um, a little disorganized, let's be polite about it at the moment. Nevertheless, how quickly should we expect an impact in terms of the cases in schools as a result of starting this process? Because at the moment, it seems there's a lot of COVID in the UK, but it's mainly centered within that age group. Yeah, I think if you really want to see an effect in terms of infections, then you're going to get into the 50, 60, 70% range again with this uh, vaccine. You can't just have... Um, one dose in 20% of the kids and everything starts looking great because it's not enough. The virus will find the other 80%. The virus will find the other 30% if you've got up to 70. But then, of course, you get that multiplier effect where you get the so-called herd immunity and you don't get, um, you don't get transmission that easily.
herd immunity from what? So now they want to mix it. Isn't it in England that they have the most deaths from the vaccinated? This is so weird. So weird. But, you know, I was watching this the other day, um, just like, and I thought, you know, I think I should share this. I thought I was going to share this on Thursday, but instead I, um, I thought I'd share it today. It's, um, by Greg, Greg Gutfeld and he pretty much nailed it with what's going on in New York. But, um, but mostly it's about swearing. We swear too much on the show. And I agree. Swearing can get an easy laugh and it feels good. But I don't like it when we overdo it. So why am I saying this? Well, because we're <laughs> Sorry. There's no other word to describe the current situation we are in. <laughs> Think about it. As we criminalize parenting, we decriminalize criminals. As we target people trying to protect their kids, we protect those trying to target us. We're living in a time where we play catch and release with deranged criminals, picking them up and then tossing them back into the general population like a fisherman releasing an underweight bass. It's now a game of Russian roulette. The government's the gun, the bullet is the criminal, and you're the target. Meanwhile, all the secure libs sit in their safe beds watching Squid Game on Netflix, a drama from South Korea where people are randomly killed in a series of children's games. You know, think hide-and-go-seek with machetes. I enjoyed the first episode, but then I was done because I didn't need to watch it. I can just walk outside and see it for real on my streets. Jermaine Foster, a sick maniac, had just allegedly robbed one woman on Saturday then knocked another woman to the ground. Maria Ambrosio, a 58-year-old cancer nurse. She fell, suffered a mortal head wound, and died a day later. This occurred in the afternoon in Times Square. You know, the only time decent people will venture there. It was once the number one tourist capital, but now it's Squid Game. Everyone there is either a criminal, a victim, or wearing an Elmo costume. But of course, here comes the second part of the story. Like clockwork, the fiend had been arrested before, but was released. So tell me again how racist the justice system is. Maybe to middle-aged Filipino women. The perp was nailed on a groping charge, and like most other heinous thugs, the victims were women. This story gets repeated more often than Seinfeld. If he'd been in jail and received the mental health treatment that we pay for, this wouldn't have happened. You know, like when a Republican was mayor. But did you know the current mayor's wife runs an $800 million program designed to help the mentally ill people? It's only helped two so far, the mayor and his wife. <laughs> There's more nuts on the streets now than after an explosion at the planter's factory. $800 million, no one knows where the money went. I think patio furniture and weed. So let me tell you about that. I had gone to um, uh, down, downtown to Broadway uh, between 11th and 12th, I think, to get something, get a prop. And uh, while someone was inside, I was like, yo, I'm going outside for a cigarette. Like, I need a cigarette. So I stand outside and this guy comes to me looking normal-ish, ish, right? 
hey, can I buy a cigarette? People keep asking me to buy a cigarette. It's like, uh, no, you can have one though, right? And I give the person a cigarette. And he goes, hey, look at you and your fine. Maybe he likes, you know, round ladies, right? And I'm like, all right. Hey, look at you and your fine self, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, mm. I tried to like not talk to him and tried to go with my phone. Oh, look at you and your nice bag. And it's like, it's a black, not fanny pack, but a man strap pack, right? Okay. It's not like a fanny pack, but it's a fanny pack for your back. How's that? And I was like, all right. Um, sure. <laughs> Thanks. He's like, yeah, you know, this is my, this, this is where I used to play when I was a kid, like in the early eighties and stuff. Great. And I said, it looks kind of commie right now, doesn't it? He goes, yeah, I was playing this video game and through the video game, I created communism and this is how I did it. You like it? I was like, no, I really don't like it. And then he did the crazy smile, you know, the one with all the teeth and the eyes. And I was like, oh shit, I really don't want to have something happen. And I'm like, why don't I just text the person that's in the store and say, Hey, why don't you come and tell me, Hey, does this look good? So I can leave. Right. But then I thought the person that's with me doesn't pick up their phone or look at their text when they're busy doing something. So I'm like, damn, I'm kind of shit on the luck right now. So I'm like, yeah. So video game explained. Yeah. You know, and he started going into it. The guy looked totally normal. Then he just went berserk. He wasn't high. I looked at his pupils. He looked pretty okay. He just looked nuts. He looked nuts. And then he left me alone. He saw that I was kind of, you know, looking for someone, which I was. I was looking for whims because she was supposed to turn up. So I was kind of just looking and looking and looking. And uh, <laughs> he kind of left after that, went back in and I was like, um, or I think they came out. I don't even remember. Cause I was actually terrified. Cause I was like, yep, I got no weapon. I'm kind of vulnerable, not feeling this right now. And it's clear as day. The guy was not. So what he's saying is not untrue. People are literally crazy. It's not the drugs. It's the crazy. <laughs> Meanwhile, the mayor's son gets chauffeured by actual detectives to and from the drugstore. Makes sense. De Blasio doesn't want his son to be a victim of the crime wave he's responsible for. This, as Attorney General Merrick Garland directs the FBI to investigate parents as domestic terror threats. Yet flat earthers have more evidence in support of its claims. As real homicide rates skyrocket, he's focusing on claims of harassment against school boards. Yeah, he's right. You've seen all those videos of parents following teachers into bathrooms with their cell phones. Screaming at school board members while they're trying to have a quiet dinner in a restaurant, going to people's homes and chanting with bullhorns in the middle of the night. Oh, wait, that's his team. So let's imagine where this might end up. What are you in for? I murdered a guy. How about you, dog? Oh, I uh, asked a question about masks at a school board meeting. <laughs> All right, inmate number two, back to the delousing stage. Oh, well, what about my baby? He'll raise him. <laughs> hey, he murdered people. Just one. <laughs> Those are better than New Yorker cartoons. So perhaps it's a game of deflection. Create mass hysteria from a fake problem to distract from the real problems. 
But it's hard to get distracted from your stolen car, closed business, and knife wound. But people keep dying from black teens in Chicago to Asian women in Manhattan. And they don't matter because their suffering serves no political purpose. Those black lives don't matter to Black Lives Matter. So as real criminals roam free in the streets like moose in Alaska and parents of all colors get demonized for caring about their kids' education, what are you left with? An activist government creating activist parents. For the surest way to red pill hundreds of millions of Americans is to call them terrorists. And the second surest way is to protect the thugs as you do that. Put all of this, put all of us in harm's way. Now the tide turns, a red tide, if you will. And like a red tide, small anti-government activist groups are going to come to the surface and bloom. We've seen movements come and go. Perot back in the 90s, the Tea Party, Black Lives Matter, line dancing. It's time (laughs) for a parents movement that stands up to this bowel movement we call a government. Safe streets and good schools are a popular idea, no matter what news channel you watch. And why pay taxes to a government that chooses the side that victimizes you? It's like continuing to give the schoolyard bully your lunch money day after day. How can you respect a government that sees you as a bigger threat than Al-Qaeda while citizens get murdered in broad daylight? It's time for a new Black Lives Matter. Call it All Lives Matter. Oh, but that's racist, Greg. Egg yourself. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I swore and I apologize for any future swearing, but it's time we gave because if we don't, we won't have any left to give. That's what's up. See, it had to be this way because let's imagine that everything, you know, because I was angry. I knew it was coming. You know, when you know the death that is going to happen. When you know that it's risky. And okay, call me, I keep saying it, oh, ye of little faith, right? But I didn't have much faith either. And that's true. I didn't have much faith in the people. I didn't have faith that the people would be able to stand up. Because people were, were, were sleepwalking just like the people you see with the masks. Every time I see people with masks, I'm like, they have no idea how, how, even if they don't believe that the masks work, they wear them to be obedient and they're making it difficult for everyone. And they don't realize just how difficult they're making it. And so, as I've said before, we only need that 1%. I mean, we are almost there. Remember you in under what, three weeks have filed 48 writ of mandamuses. You did. Your filing lawsuits were all lawfare happy. Wait till the next round. Wait till the next. They won't even see it coming with all their little spies taking a look like that article for Media Matters. And she's encouraging other people to file lawsuits and support their constitutional freedoms. Like when the fuck was that ever a problem? I'm sorry. I'm so confused. It's as if, how dare you use the law? How dare you, you know, empower people and teach them or have these cases ready for them so they could just modify them and file them because there's no lawyers out there 
that would do it themselves, that there's no real judges that are sitting on the bench, that the police just sit there like, uh, you know, what's the worst thing when you, <laughs> when you're going through New York airports with a child like mine, here we are getting into LaGuardia and we're, you know, ready to go. And I asked him, Hey, so where do I go? Is it this way or that way? Officer was like, your mask. And I'm like, yeah, I, I have it. Let me get it. And Phoebe was like, Hey, are you a police officer? I am. Didn't you take an oath? Why aren't you supporting my constitutional rights? And I was like, Oh my gosh, Phoebe, don't do this. So <laughs> we stopped for a body break. She's like, I'm not wearing a mask on the plane. I was like, okay, please do your dance in another state, not here. So she took mom's advice. I was like, I'm putting my foot down. Don't, don't. Because, you know, she yells at me when I, when I cuss at people with masks, you could be nicer. You know, you could tell them they don't work yet. There she is. Like, I don't care if we get kicked off the plane. And it's like, yeah, so I need to not be on a no fly list. And so, you know, <sighs> Uh, <laughs> right. I need to not be on no fly list. The kids are pissed and it's constantly being pushed on all of us to comply. It's all about compliance. I mean, I had a conversation with someone very dear to me and, um, that person said, well, you remember when we went through boot camp, they had us all lined up and they were just tagging us. I mean, lots of us had to get the anthrax vaccine. And why are people standing up now? And it's like, because it's not about the vaccine. It's about the database. It's about the control. See, if it was just the vaccine, right? People would decide to get it. When you're forcing someone, that's a different story. That means it's not about your health. Or like the lady said, the government decides if it's safe. Fuck the government. They're not the one that's going to tell me if it's safe. I decide it. I see what's in there. I decide if I want to take it. I wait and see, and everybody else can go first, right? And that's how it is. Just like some parents did for that um, HPV vaccine. Parents were like, yeah, so I'm not going to do it. And it's a good thing they didn't because... There were many countries like Spain and Japan that banned it because it caused infertility. You know, and then they start still pushing it. Oh, let's mandate it. Wait a minute. Countries around the world have banned this shit for infertility, but now you want to mandate it in the U.S.? Yeah, you can keep that vaccine to yourself, right? This is a a, 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 a big deal, right? The, the, the conversations that I've had with various people are all around, you know, circling around the same thing. I remember sitting down somewhere and I was like, wow, they're asking people for their COVID card and an ID. Yeah, you'll be surprised. You know, there's so many people that get fraudulent ones. I was like, they do? Yeah, there's a bunch of, you know, Jewish doctors out in, in, in Brooklyn and all these doctors are just giving people COVID cards. I was like, aha, so I see, I see. And how do they know that they didn't take it? Um, well, people go undercover and then they find out that the doctors just destroyed the, va the vial. Wait, so you're saying, and why isn't this news, that there are doctors around our nation that will honor the patient's request and dump that shit in the garbage, right? 
so that they can have an ID. Because in New York, you can't sit down and eat. You can't go to a store. You can't go places without your Vax card, right? And the doctors are actually opposing it. That means that they know something we're supposed to know. Why isn't this news? Oh, because if it was news, people would start asking questions. See, that's the thing. Real doctors will honor what the patient has to say. Bad doctors won't. I like that. I really, really like that. I was, I was outside of the hotel having a cigarette in the morning and some lady was like, they wouldn't let me go into the iguana club last night because I'm, I was right across the street from like that salsa club. And she was talking and then the, the, the guy that was there, I don't know, he works there. I, I don't know. He was outside. He was like, yeah, man, 150 bucks. I could tell you where you can go, go see the doctor for a checkup. They'll get you. And I was like, see, that's the good shit right there that they're doctors that will take them on as new patients and, and they'll, it'll be a legit one unless they test your DNA. They will not know. This is where I'm getting at. It's going to go down to your DNA being tested. It's going to go down to your DNA being tested. I'm telling you because that is the whole plan. Your DNA is your footprint. Your your fingerprint, you could burn it, it'll change, it could be misidentified. I mean, they're very unique. But your DNA, dang. You can't run from that shit. They find murderers from like a hundred years ago with that. So it's really, really important that you understand exactly what's at stake. It has nothing to do with health. Why the hell does the government care about your health? If they cared about your health, they would not have passed the Affordable Care Act. It was all about giving your data. They put it on the AER system with it, which means everybody in the world has access to your health records. Oh, well, of course you want them too. If you're in Mexico and a shark bites you and you need a blood transfusion, they should be able to go in the computer and see all your personal shit. It's for your benefit. So that went global in the late, you know, early, early first decade of 2000 with the, with Obama just getting into office. And then suddenly the Affordable Care Act was passed, which means your car insurance has access to your health information, your home insurance, your bank, everybody and their mother has access. But, you know, when you sign the HIPAA thing, it's like, we only give information to parties that are allowed under federal law. If you read that fucking federal law, it's everybody and their mother. You just think it's private. So that's how it is. It's not about your health. It's about data and controlling you and knowing every single aspect of you. This is the beginning of the minority report. But then again, who are these people that are doing all these minority reports? Now, Waters World did a, uh, a segment, right, Jesse Waters, about Nancy Pelosi's financial dealings. Now, you guys know I have a massive article on her 
with her visa and her husband and her son and their holdings, tiger, tiger, tiger. And then her shipping containers. One of them was actually stopped in Australia because it had like three tons of meth, you know, shipping containers, shipping containers, visa. What else? Stripe, the thing I'm banned from, right? Stripe, stuff like that. And I think it's important that you guys get to know these people that are telling you what's good for you. A Waters World investigation, Nancy Pelosi's policies are making it harder and harder for average Americans to accumulate wealth. Shackling us with taxes, destroying the dollar with reckless spending. But the speaker who makes in the low six figures has somehow very easily become one of the richest members of Congress. What's her secret? It appears to be her husband, Paul. After they got married, Paul opened up a real estate and venture capital firm. And through his connections, he pushed Nancy into the political world, helping her get elected to Congress in 1987. The couple has timed the market perfectly over the years while Nancy's been a Washington insider. Real estate, stocks, the Pelosi's always know what the right investment is. Since getting married, they've acquired a mansion in Napa Valley, a vineyard home worth up to 25 million, real luxury, it's on 16 acres, Pelosi has a gorgeous waterfront condo in the exclusive K Street region in D.C., now worth over two mil. She has a multi-million dollar red brick mansion in California's Pacific Heights. And Paul owns at least two commercial properties in San Francisco combined worth up to $50 million. Since regaining the gavel in 2018, the Pelosi's wealth has skyrocketed. That year, her financial disclosure report revealed a net worth of over $114 million. Then, in 2019, Pelosi's assets totaled up to a whopping $271 million. And in 2020, those numbers went up even more, to as high as $315 million. Bucks. Quite a lot of crumbs. So where's the money coming from? 60 Minutes basically accused Paul Pelosi of insider trading. Madam Leader, um, I wanted to ask you why you and your husband, back in March of 2008, um, accepted and participated in a very large IPO deal from Visa. At a time, there was major uh, legislation affecting their credit card companies making its way through the um, through the house. And well, did you consider that to be a conflict of interest? The, yeah, I, I don't know what your point is of your question. Is there some point that you want to make with that? Well, I, I guess what I'm asking is, do you think it's all right for uh, a speaker? Uh, to accept uh, a very preferential and favorable uh, stock deal. Well, we did. You participated in the IPO. Well, I have many And at the time, you were Speaker of the House. You don't think it was a conflict of interest or had the appearance no, of a conflict not, of interest? No, it only has appearance if you decide that you're going to have a, a, a elaborate on a false premise. But it, it, it's not true, and that's that. I don't understand what part's yeah. not true. Yes, sir. Um, that I, that I would act upon an investment. In 2007, Visa worried the new Democrat Congress would target their swipe fees, costing them billions. So they hired a team of lobbyists who descended on Pelosi. Visa's CEO personally met with her. She got donations from him. One of Nancy's advisors left and became a Visa lobbyist himself. The old inside-outside game. Now get this. Suddenly, Paul Pelosi got a phone call from his broker. He was in luck. Paul was offered a pre-screened invite to get in early on Visa's $18 billion IPO. Did Nancy and her husband hesitate? No. 
They bought between 1 million and 5 million worth of Visa stock. But it gets better. While Pelosi was speaker, bills that would have hurt Visa's stock price were blocked in the House. Visa shares going up over 200% during the time, making the Pelosi's a fortune on paper. Nancy Pelosi and her husband have a knack for taking advantage of market timing. In March, Paul Pelosi exercised $2 million worth of Microsoft options just two weeks before the tech giant got a $22 billion contract to equip the U.S. Army with high-tech headsets. In January, the Pelosi's got a million dollars worth of Tesla stock right before Joe Biden announced electric car incentives. In June, the Pelosi family cashed in big time just before Congress was set to pounce on big tech. Mr. Pelosi exercised options on Google's parent company, Alphabet, making an easy 5.3 mil. Now, to be fair, the Pelosi's have never been indicted for insider trading, but her marriage investments, and access, combined with extremely fortunate timing, have created a lot of suspicions. All we're doing is following the money, and there sure is a lot of it. Joining me now for more on this, President of the Government Accountability Institute and the Drill Down podcast host, Peter Schweitzer. All right, we put it together for you there, Peter. What is your reaction? You know better than anybody how this whole thing works. Yeah, no, I I think you're dead on. Look, the bottom line, Jesse, is we don't mind if people make money with investments. The question is, is it wedded to your political power? And in the case of the Pelosi's, they not only got that Visa IPO stock, they've participated in at least 10 IPO uh, stocks. And these are unusual. These basically go to company founders and insiders. The fact that a politician's family is allowed to participate in an investment that when it goes public, generally doubles in value often is is a real indicator that there's a problem. I'll add one other thing, Jesse. Those uh, office buildings you mentioned, they own an office building on Belden Street in San Francisco. Nancy Pelosi steered $200 million in federal money to build the Third Avenue light railway system in San Francisco. Mm. Guess where one of the stops of that light railway system actually stops? Within two blocks of their office building. That matters because there's something called the transit premium. If your building is within two blocks of a subway or railway stop, it effectively doubles the value of it. And that's precisely what happened to the Pelosi's real estate. That's very interesting. Also interesting, they've been offered 10 IPO buy-ins. So it's just randomly that these companies give the Pelosi family Early access to IPOs. Unbelievably fortunate people, Nancy and Paul. All right, Peter, thank you for following the money with us. You're good. Thanks for having me. Hey, Sean Hannity here. Hey, click here to subscribe to Fox News YouTube page. So weird. This is coming out now. This was huge a decade ago. I wrote an article about it in 2019 since, uh, and the only reason I picked it up was because of the tanker and the ever given, uh, that she was, uh, associated with. And I put the link in the chat for Twitch and Facebook cause I'm no longer on Trovo. I was banned by the way. So, um, you know, these, why now think like, why are they talking about this now? Why, why now? Why, why is it happening right now? You need to let that 
sink in. Tori, tell us. No, I'm not going to tell you. You're going to see it because you're going to see and you're going to understand why we had to show you. And we couldn't tell you. We had to show you and how you had this had to happen this way because that's the only way you can leave the Hotel California. Time for a break. On a dark desert highway in my hair warm smell of colitas rising up through the air up ahead in the distance I saw a shimmering light my head grew heavy and my sight grew dim I had to stop for she stood in the doorway I heard the mission bell I was thinking to myself This could be heaven or this could be hell Then she lit up the candle Showed me the way There were voices down the corridor Heard them say, Welcome to the Hotel California. Such a lovely place, such a lovely face. Plenty of room at the Hotel California. Any time of year. You can find it here Her mind is Tiffany twisted She's got that Mercedes Benz She got a lot of pretty, pretty boys She calls friends How they dance in the courtyard Sweet summer sweat some dance to remember, some dance to forget. So I called up the captain, please bring me my wine. He said, we haven't had that spirit here since 1969. Still those voices are calling. From far away Wake you up in the middle of the night Just to hear them Say Welcome to the Hotel California Such a lovely place Such a lovely face Living it up at the Hotel California What a nice surprise Bring your alibi Mirrors on the ceiling Pink champagne on ice We are all just prisoners here Of our own device in the master's chambers 
They gathered for a feast. They stab it with their steely knives, but they just can't kill the beast. Last thing I remember, I was running for the door. Had to find the passage back to the place I was before. Relax at the night end. We are programmed to receive. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. Welcome to the hotel, California. Such a lovely place. Such a lovely face. They're living it up at the hotel, California. What a nice surprise! Bring your alibis. The hotel, California. Think of it as you want, whatever you want that prison to be. But I can tell you that what you think is happening may be happening, may not be happening. Now, the minute I landed, I saw uh, <laughs> I saw that people had something to say about uh, Attorney De- General of Arizona. Let me tell you about this Attorney General of Arizona before we watch his badass. And I actually liked it, right? Why not? video. You see, he's actually filed fraud charges, right? And he just did fraudulent schemes, presentment of false instrument for filing conflict of interest. He files fraud charges against people all the time. He does these things. He does these things. But what else is happening is that uh, you know, I remember it was against that school district person. Everyone is saying that the audit is going to take him down. The only attorney general that is moving on this, right? Right? Everyone in the right and the left is saying it's going to take him down. The only state where money was actually paid to do an audit the only state where we actually had some results come out of the audit and everyone wants to take him down, right? This is their title. Arizona audit may bring down a politician after all, right? So the question that I have for you is, do you let him drown? Do you let him fall? I want you to look at this for a second. I want you to look at his video. Oh, where is it? Gosh darn it. Really? That one came down, but not the other one. Hold on. Want you to see his video because it's important. You see it. It's important for those of you that aren't on telegram. You should be on telegram to see it and understand what he's doing. It's so weird that people didn't get it. Why is it not coming up? 
what is going on here? Let's see. Give me a second. I'm getting a little bit frustrated with this. I freaking love it. Everyone's like, oh my God, what a tool. I'm like, no, I like it. I freaking like it. How many of you, how can you not like it? He comes out with nunchucks. Okay. How could you not like it? How could you not like him coming out with nunchucks? I think it was kind of funny. I think it was awesome. But he was telling you he's going to fight. And this damn freaking video is not wanting to come out. Damn. Well, that's some bullshit right there. I'm really, really not happy. Hold on. Let's see. If I can do it another way. How am I not able to do this? It's supposed to be in there, and it's just not in there. Maybe I can do it another way. Give me a second. Stupid thing. Let's see. Are you serious that it's not here? Freaking out. I'm gonna. I'm gonna figure this out. I'm gonna figure out why. I can't do this the way I want to. Give me a second. Um, let me see if this works. My, all right, let's see if that, if I can actually find it somewhere else. I need to share it with you guys. Let's see. They won't play it either. <sighs> okay. <clears throat> I'm going to share an article where there's a screenshot for you guys to at least see it. And I'll play the audio. Okay. So we have MSN DNC. Uh, saying that, you know, oh, Arizona AG posts a video of himself twirling nunchucks for some reason. Ah, uh, and he says this. Hold on. General Mark Brnovich. It's Arizona Attorney General Mark Brnovich. We've gotten a lot of calls, a lot of emails, but there's one thing people definitely want to see. They want to see more chucks. Yes, people, they do. You want more chucks? Got more chucks. He's showing that he, you want to see more fighting? I'm giving you more fighting. How can nobody get that? How can nobody get that? How can nobody get that? And why is someone who's reading this like a hostage, right? Knocking him for that. Oh no, we want to see election integrity. Are you serious? This guy is the bomb diggity. What he did was the bomb. I think it was so badass because he got enough controversy going, right? So that people talk. But then you have this guy who read shit like he was a hostage. I am here to formally announce my run for Congress in Arizona district number one. Our fight has only just begun and I can't do it alone. I will need your support. Together, we will beat Tom Hooligan and under God's authority, we will take back Congress 
flip the Senate and fix the presidency. Thank you and God bless. Okay, what? Okay, now, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not against him running. If Ron Code Monkey Watkins, you know, thinks that, that if he takes on the, the run, I'm more power to him, okay? More power to him, right? Why not? If, uh, you know, anyone that's willing to run, I'm there. I'm like, yeah, it takes balls to do it. Do I like the way Ron does things? No, I absolutely do not. Do I think he should run? I, maybe he should stop reading because you could see his eyes going. And, you know, if he fulfills the residency requirement, right? And he feels like he can run and the people of that district think that he can run, then, then go ahead. Because here's what's happening. Shit's changing now. Why? Because people get the PSYOP. Let me, let me take you to a very old... It's not that old, actually. How old is it? This is only four years old. A DEFCON, you know, summit speaking thing. How to overthrow a government. I want you to listen to this part only. So now that we own everything and we can hack everything, including the banks, we need to understand how the media works. So we need to reverse engineer them. So at this point, he's shown everyone for the past like 30 minutes how they own the banks, can hack the banks, can access everything. This is how you overthrow the, the, the government, okay? You own access to almost everything. The next is media reverse engineering. Take a listen. And that's what we do for a living. So why don't we do it with the media? So what we do is we apply what's called the two-source rule. So the media need two sources to use it as a story. And I've got the, the uh, sources on the right-hand side and types of sources. So you want to need at least two stories, uh, sources to fool the media. Or you can actually pawn a few media outlets that we did from the telco, publish information, and then just release it. You want to release the information to the, to the news agency that will release that information where they've been questioning it. So, for example, Fox News, you want to use the, the Hillary Clinton information. They'll publish it and they won't even give a shit. You don't want to do it in reverse because they're not going to publish it. They've got no interest in doing that. So what we did is in 2011, we used Kuwait Central Bank. We already owned them. So we used unnamed government officials to transfer millions of dollars outside the accounts into their private bank accounts. And we used the New York Times to do the same thing using that two-source rule. Now, one of my idiot advisors thought this would be a great idea. He thought using a Q80 prince convert to Christianity Christianity would be a good idea and went with it. He did get the publicity he was after. We've got 100 media outlets that uh, went with that, but it was just a stupid idea. You need to use the people in this. When the CIA using... Uh, when the CIA are planning a cool revolution, you need to get the people on side. You've got money in your hands. You need to use bribes. So... Use this sort of money to pay people to put implants within companies, professional agitation, misinformation, uh, or get corporate people to do stuff for you. So what he's showing you is how the CIA overthrows the government. They use misinformation, agitators, protests, fake protests, fake, fake protests, right? Whether you know it's fake and you're like the feds, that fed, 
Fed rally that they had for J6. Yeah, that was a Fed. That was a fake, fake protest. Then you have real protests and fake protests. You leak information. You plant information and you use people in corporations to give you information. So, you know, these are all the weapons they use, which they've been using against you. <laughs> Very well, I might say. You've got to heat the population up enough to give a shit to overthrow the government. So, for example, the professional agitators, you would have a group of people that you would pay to cause a protest, and then you would get another group of protesters dressed in police uniforms to bash them up, and then, then you get that on the news. And if they won't publish it on the news, you publish your own news. You own the telco. When you're planning the operation, you need to plan it down to the absolute detail, and you need to be flexible because shit just won't go right. You might lose a rat. You just need to have to plan for... Um, for changes in your in your operation. So I'm going to share the link on this because this is quite an interesting video for you guys to watch. But you know what? If you watch Shadowgate, kind of tells you what we do. You know, when we want to throw other governments, and then you understand why Patrick Berge's upset because they're using a weapon he helped create against the people. That's kind of messed up. And if that's not all, is Greek lady. Ariana Huffington talked about overthrowing the government and how the tactics are. Her Greek accent is very heavy, but here she is speaking at Harvard 21 years ago. One that pleases me since we were the first government in the Western world to give women the right to vote in Wyoming in 1869. So, Ariana, they're eager to hear from you, and we're very pleased to have you with us, and uh, join me in welcoming Ariana. Thank you so much. It's really great to be here and to be introduced by Al Simpson. Uh, what an amazing figure in American politics and American life. Don't you wish we had at least a dozen more like him? Although probably one of them is enough to handle Anne, right? <laughs> uh, the, the book that um, Senator Simpson mentioned on Greek mythology uh, is a book that I dedicated to him when we knew each other in Washington. And I dedicated to him um, as a mixture of Zeus and Hermes. And I want to explain why. Because he has the authority of Zeus, who is the king of the gods. You know, he's the guy who always gets the bill at the table. You know, no matter how many people may have been with him, he will, the waiter will automatically take the bill to Senator Simpson. And Hermes, because Hermes was the god who was at home everywhere and could bring a sense of occasion to anything that he did. And these are characteristics that, together with many others that I'm sure you know about having now been with him for all those months, uh, he shares with the gods. So no wonder he likes that book of mine. But today we are here to talk about um, American politics at this juncture as we are approaching this new millennium. And March 7th, with 16 states at stake, is really Exhibit A in the degradation of American politics. Let me just... Uh, and take it one by one. 
Isn't it quite amazing how the two parties have managed to move all the primaries together so that by March 7th, we will know really, unless there are some surprises, and they're often surprises, but unless pollsters have been very wrong, which they often are, we will know by the end of tonight who the nominees of the two parties are going to be, and it's March 7th. In the 1960s, you, haven't even, you hadn't even had New Hampshire by March 7th. So everything is just so front-loaded that it is very, very hard now to take on the establishment nominee, the one that the party has basically selected in advance. And that's one of the major problems that I'm criticizing in my book, the sort of the monopoly of the two parties, which is particularly disturbing when you consider that the two parties themselves have become largely indistinguishable. You basically have the pro-life corporate party and the pro-choice corporate party. And if this is your only issue, you have a choice. But if you care about other things, you don't really have much of a choice. And this is why so many, especially young people, have given up on the process. But let's go down the list of what else we, we see from today. The dominance of pollsters in American public life is truly extraordinary. Uh, going back to the polls of a few months ago that had automatically uh, anointed George W. Bush as the front runner. So all the money went to him. So then it had this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy effect. I am so uh, concerned about the impact of pollsters in our lives just because they have really replaced leadership. Politicians can do nothing these days, including decide um, what tie to wear in the morning without consulting polling results. So I have founded, together with Harry Scheer, uh, something called the Partnership for a Poll-Free America. And you can join by going to our website, www.overthrowthegov.com, and um, take a pledge to hang up on pollsters. The, here's how this works. It's a kind of small civil disobedience campaign. Um, the dirty little secret of pollsters is that their response rates have already dropped to about 20 to 30 percent, which means that the majority of the American people already do not talk to them, um, which means that given the impact they have on public policy, our policy agenda is determined by a small and unrepresentative minority of bored and lonely Americans <laughs> who have nothing better to do at night then talk to strangers for no money. <laughs> so if our civil disobedience campaign works and we drive down response rates to single digits, then they will have to admit that their results are officially useless. So please join us. It's very simple. I mean, we have an 11-point manifesto, and we're going to have some of them out there. You can take them on your way out. And the simplest thing you can do to get involved and overthrow the system is hanging up on pollsters. That's the simple thing. We ask you to do some more complicated things that we'll talk about in a minute. But that's simple. You must agree. And then once we kind of force politicians to become less reliant on polls and polling results, they will have to think for themselves, which at first is going to be rather hard because those muscles have atrophied. But, <laughs> but little by little, they will start thinking for themselves and will have to have, and will start having a rather vigorous debate as opposed to what we have now. 
which is basically all politicians deciding that the same issues matter. Have you noticed that? Suddenly, everybody wants to pay down the debt. I mean, until Ross Perot, nobody was really talking much about it, except perhaps you, Senator Simpson. I have to, you have to correct me on that. Um, but they used to talk about the huge trade deficit. Well, our trade deficit now is greater than ever. Nobody's talking about that. And let me just tell you two other major issues, which I want to talk also later on, that are not being discussed because they don't make it on the polls. One of them is the failure of the drug war. We're spending $40 billion a year, and we have more nonviolent drug offenders filling our jails than ever before. We have 2 million people in American jails, more than they have in China. And have you heard any presidential candidate talking about that? No, because it does not appear on the Gallup poll. You know, leadership used to do about looking around the corner, seeing the icebergs before they hit the Titanic, or they make it on the Gallup poll, one or the other. And alerting the public about those issues, creating a consensus around issues before they become crisis. Well, that aspect of leadership is really no longer present in American politics. Just imagine what would have happened if Abraham Lincoln had Dick Morris around when he was about to sign the Emancipation Proclamation, a deeply unpopular document at the time. Dick Morris would probably have said, Mr. President, you cannot sign this document. It will bring your approval ratings down by at least 20 points. Why don't you sign something that everybody can be in favor of, like Secretary's Day? It's the easy way out. It's the small measures. It's school uniforms and the 48-hour maternity stays. You know, that one is particularly galling to me because since I was lucky enough to have two healthy births, the last thing I wanted was to stay in hospital for 48 hours. I wanted to get home. I wanted to have support at home. I did an analysis, which I include in the book, of the equivalent cost for two months of support at home, you know, getting somebody to do your shopping, to take care of all the children, as opposed to two extra days in hospital if you don't need them. We're not talking about if you need them medically. But if you don't need them, it's just another pandering to the electorate. And then, let's say McCain had voted against it. We would have had Bush running commercials like he's running now about McCain supposedly being against breast cancer research, you know, saying that whoever votes against 48-hour maternity stays is supposed to be what, against women, against children, against what? And that brings me to the other aspect of modern politics that we see so clearly in what's happened today and over the last month. Campaign consultants. Campaign consultants are a breed. How many are here? Any, any campaign consultants here? Okay, so I can say what I really think. <laughs> campaign consultants only know how to do one kind of campaign. Tear down your opponent. Negative ads. They don't really know how to do anything else. And then they tell the candidate, you know, worry about the big ideas after you win. Unless you win, you won't be able to implement them anyway. You know, that's the... That's the theory behind this. In um, California, Al Cechi spent $40 million, for which I was very grateful because he replaced Michael Huffington, my ex-husband, as the poster boy for campaign spending. So <laughs> I'm personally very grateful to him. But he had Bob Schramm as his campaign consultant. And Bob Schramm managed to turn Al Cechi, a rather nice man, 
into a kind of Tony Perkins figure at the end of Psycho. <laughs> and he did that while he spent most of the campaign at the, in the south of France, collecting his cool millions. And that's just typical of what's happening with campaign consultants. When the history of the McCain campaign is written, if McCain ends up losing in the key states tonight, will be how did, how, who decided in his campaign to start running these ads comparing Bush to Clinton? This was the kind of turning point in the McCain campaign, if you look at it, from being the sort of above it all, reform-minded candidate to starting to play the kind of game that he then accused Bush of playing. Of course, Bush would probably have done that anyway, but he then got cover because of the way the McCain campaign conducted itself. I bet there is some campaign consultant there who is responsible for that. So the second major point I want to make is that even in the primaries that got so much attention, like South Carolina and Michigan, only about 14 to 20% voted. And do you remember um, CNN and MSNBC and all the other um, channels going on about the high turnout? Do you remember that? I, I kept hearing that and I thought, let me find out what percentage actually voted. I know they kept saying it was twice as high as the 1996, but that was between Bob Dole and Bill Clinton. Why would anybody want, I mean, that was, <laughs> You know what I'm saying. I mean, that is, <laughs> that is another example of the suicidal tendencies in the Republican Party. You know, um, selecting as the nominee Bob Dole, a man who clearly could never have won against Bill Clinton. Wasn't that obvious to anybody? I, I wrote a column at the time saying that the presidency is not an entitlement just because it was his turn. It didn't mean he had to be given it. And now, of course, it looks as though the Republican Party is about to nominate a man who is going to probably lose to Al Gore because they didn't want to reform themselves. They would rather lose than reform. That's the bottom line. And um, when John McCain started talking about the party of Teddy Roosevelt and the need to shake up the party, Mitch McConnell went on suicide watch. <laughs> Al is smiling. He must know something. So... I wanted you to see this. This is 21 years ago, you guys. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. This was from the year 2000, March 2000, right? What happened to the Huffington Post? No, keep listening, because all of this makes sense. She's like, why are they putting these candidates together? Well, it's not his turn. It was her turn, remember? It's not this. 21 years later, same shit. Listen. <laughs> Maybe he had some deep grief counseling sessions with Trent Lott on the phone. <laughs> he can't wait to talk, I know, but your time will come any minute. <laughs> so this whole issue of turnout is absolutely crucial. Because what is amazing is that we, in the last election, in 1998, two-thirds of eligible voters did not vote. 115 million eligible voters did not go to the polls. And neither party think, thinks this is a crisis in democracy. You know, we spend $900 million to export democracy abroad. I suggest we start spending some of that money to import democracy here. 
because there is something fundamentally wrong when so many people are opting out of the system. If those trend lines continue, um, there will be a day, let's say, at the end of this millennium, when there will be just one single citizen voting. Um, let's call him Bob Gonzalez from Jacksonville, Florida. And you're going to have both parties running multi-trillion dollar campaigns for his vote. And you're going to have George Bush the 20th <laughs> running on the slogan, vote for George Bush the 20th, he'll do what's good for Bob. <laughs> So if we want to stop this constant decline, we really do need to overthrow the current system. There is no alternative. And I know that uh, many of you, many of the undergraduates here with whom I talked earlier, agree that there has to be some fundamental reform of the system. And that brings me to my last point before we open it up to a discussion. And this is today proves beyond any doubt that the reform of the system is not going to happen from within the two-party system. If John McCain, when are you ever going to get again a reform candidate with John McCain's resume? A war hero, a man who could appeal across the board and yet be passionate about reform. And there's no question about his passion for reform. I, I, I was on his bus in New Hampshire and he just launched into this populist rant in the middle of New Hampshire, um, about his own party. He said, how can my own party take $7 million from tobacco? Just now it did, recently. How can my own party be in favor of abolishing welfare for the poor, but not in favor of abolishing welfare for the rich, $200 billion of corporate welfare every year? And he launched into this passionate rant, like Dennis Miller. How often would you get a candidate with that passion for reform, who um, sounds like Ralph Nader, looks like Brian Lamb, and comes across like John Wayne. It's not likely to happen very quickly. So that proves what I'm saying in the book, which is that it's going to take a movement to bring about reform. And that's where we all come into it. And that's where I was getting to it. So like she said, where are you going to get someone that talks like John Wayne, has the passion of this and the passion of that? It was definitely not McCain, right? But in order to bring reform and change this and smash the two-party system, one would say a third one would rise and a fourth and a fifth. How do you take out a tank? Well, usually it's from the inside. You get a juggernaut on the inside of one of the parties that splits it into oblivion. The Democrats don't even have a party. Let's be honest. They don't. They don't know where they sit. Black Lives Matter. We're kneeling. Look at us. But we're not doing shit for you. And you can see that. How do you see that? Well, you see that these little factions of the Sunrise Movement, BLM and Antifa are fighting them now. Remember the pile of horse manure they dropped in front? The fact that they're attacking the Democrats as well. The fact that they're bullying Joe Biden's supposed administration to do shit. The fact that the unions are writing health policy for our children. You know, that's where you see that they have no party. It's just a money machine. 
So this movement is you. You are demanding reform. You want fresh blood in there. You want term limits. You want the donut shop keeper, right? The cashier at McDonald's. The guy that has the hot dog stand on the corner. The mom that's been, that's very well educated, homeschooled her kids. She doesn't even have to have a degree. She just has to know how to be a citizen. The, you know, <laughs> the mechanic, the welder, the launch, you know, the landscape guy. Those are the people that represent us, not these idiots that are in office right now. Because they don't speak American. They speak parcel tongue. You're the peasant. They can't hear you. You're too far down for me to listen to you, peasant. Yeah, you don't know the details, peasant. It's not complicated to run a country. It's multifaceted, which means there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of things that have to be done. There's a lot of P's and Q's. There's a lot of agencies. There's a lot of this. But guess what? There's a lot of us that have expertise in every every single little moving part. We have great pencil sharpeners. We have great paper shredders. We have great janitors, secretaries, police officers, juggernauts, welders, ice makers, cooks, chefs. What else do we need? Right? We have scholars. Right? We have professors. We have teachers. We have moms that can talk about psychologists. We have everything. So why is it complicated? It's not that complicated. It's really not that complicated. We don't have to make it complicated. And that's the way it is. You are this movement of reform. What Ariana Huffington was talking about is you, the people. It's not getting, just getting rid of the McCain's. How many times have you heard me said, fire every single one of them down to the fucking janitor? That's the only way you fix it. But the careers, fuck the careers. But I signed up so that I can have career as a federal employee. Fuck your career. It's all over. The federal government is starting over right now. You don't do that anymore. Sorry, bye. But I need security working for the federal government. No, you don't. It's going to be treated as if you join the military. There will be term limits in the State Department, term limits in the FBI, term limits every fucking where. Could you imagine if our cops, right, were actually former FBI agents that did an eight-year stint as FBI agents? We'd have the best damn police. They would have seen the shittiest shit. Can you imagine if your uh, administrators uh, that did all the paperwork or the logistics or that your city needed to hire someone to do, I don't know, number crunching for city projects, right? That the people would elect council members to pick on. You'd get the guys that crunch the numbers for, I don't know, the state department, like, you know, uh, or the department of energy, Right. These are the people that would be preferred to work. You know, maybe serving your country should be that. I'm all for that. If you're out of high school, you can get your first job in the federal government, 
in the military, in the state government, and then you're done. Term limit on every fucking thing. Because if you're a lifelong career politician, this, that, mayor, attorney general for like 100 years, uh, so secretary of state for like 30 years, like you die in that position. The people are fucked because you don't want to get out of your comfortable position. You'll do anything to keep your position. You don't want change. You know, you may love your job at the state department, uh, translating documents, for example, let's say, right? You get the documents and you translate them into another language or into the target language being English, right? You love that job, but you know that there's a time limit on it. So there's a ton of companies that do that shit for private work. You'll be preferred because you worked for your nation under that title. Kind of like um, yeomans in the Navy. They get extra, super duper extra brownie points to get into administrative positions within the state or private companies, right? Not federal, private company and federal, but it shouldn't be like that. How many people get bonus points for being veterans uh, to get jobs? This is how we need to treat this. We need to fix this shit. We can't have the same dinosaurs in office. We can't have the same people working as careers. I know a lot of you work for the federal government. You're like, no, fuck that. I like my job. I come in, I clock in, I've got security. I've got my Fed credit union account. You know, I get great benefits. Yeah, it's great. I agree. But that's where corruption happens. Because this is what happened with the federal coup that they were organizing. They knew they can stall things if they organize. They've been friends for a long time. So, you know, this is how it happens. No one clerks for a judge for a hundred years. They clerk for them and then they go and do some practice here and then they do that. And then they go on with their career. That's how life is. This is why the military cycles people every four to six years, because it's necessary to make sure that there's no corruption. I don't see why. It's Arizona Attorney General. I don't see why people don't understand that. I don't see why it's so complicated. I don't see why others don't see that. So, like, for example, this Attorney General of Arizona. Just so you guys know, usually people who become Attorney General have their eye on the prize, which is to become the governor of the state. Every single one. And we know Mark wants to do it. And well, we're not changing it now. That shit's going to change 2028, right? When we get the reform bill done and all the rules are done and every motherfucker that's going to vote for it will know that they're never going to be in office again and they have to be okay with that, right? This is when the reform really happens to set out the rules because what people need to understand is President Trump was a game changer. He was the one that kicked off this movement. This is why they all hated him. You heard Ariana Huffington say it 21 years ago that McConnell had like, you know, freaked the fuck out when he heard, oh, let's have term limits or let's change or have reform. He's still fucking there. And it's 21 years later running the same damn shit. So <clears throat> while we work now to remedy the immediate issues, which is not to bring on an empire, but maintain our free nation. Not to lose square footage of this nation, but to maintain it. We need to think of how we move forward too. 
It's not just about the now. The now is we've exposed the fact that we don't have a say. There is no voting one vote, Bob. They take your vote and they vote for themselves anyway. See, they knew that. They knew no one was voting in 1998. They knew that. They knew they were in trouble then. They knew that. Therefore, they created the hanging chads and took that shit away from you too. Since the people won't vote, we'll vote for them. Fuck them. And no one will know. It's not like they all talk to each other. <laughs> now you do. So what we have to fix is how we elect these people. And that's the key. And this is what you're doing now. No, we're not, Tori. We're fighting so they don't jab us and mask our kids. You mean you're fighting to maintain your privacy, the last shred of your rights. To be able to maintain your sovereignty, to be able to not have to give a blood sample. You know how many of you have joked in the past? I'm sure all of you have when you're on the phone, they're like, um, you know, you call from your number, you put in your account number, you put in your secret code. And then some non-English speaking person comes on the phone and says, hello, my name is Bob. And you're like, no dude, your name is Raj. Okay. But let's continue. And then they're like, so give me your name. And it's like, all right, here's my name. Uh, may I have your address? And it's like, here's my address. Okay, now may I have your account number? I just put that in the phone. Yeah, you need to tell me the account number. So what was the point of me putting it in the phone? I, I don't know. Just go. So you say that. Can I have your social security number? Can I have your PIN code? Can I have? And you're like, dude, do you want a fucking blood sample now or what? Huh? Joke, huh? Well, you're going to have that shit too. You're going to have that shit. I know a lot of you have said that. At some point to the bank, they're like, I need to see this, this, this. And you're like, damn, want a blood sample as well? And it's like, yep. Hey, with your blood sample, your DNA is right there and they can identify you. Just a little prick on the finger. That's all. We don't need a lot. Just to identify it's you. How many of you, uh, you know, Tambered had a bank account where they were asking for your fingerprint to sign in. A few banks have done that in the past and then got rid of it, right? It was too lengthy. It wasn't accurate. People can mimic that shit, right? They found all the all the issues with it, right? Then they did the chip and pin that has RFID. So they can check where you are. When you put the pin in, it'll give a location too. You know, RFID does that. <laughs> so you have your pin, right? <laughs> so it's really weird, isn't it? What you're actually fighting for right now is the ability to fight for your nation later because that's all you need right now. The right to be able to be an individual and not just one Bob, right? You need to be that individual. And that's what you're fighting for. That is the bottom line. But I'm fighting for like to get the elections in 2020 didn't happen. doesn't matter. You're not a person. Uh, but we can't have 21, 2021 elections without 2020. You're right. But first, you have to talk about how you're an individual and they don't have the right to put shit in your body. Yeah, but, you know, it kind of feels like they keep telling me, well, you did give your kid, like, uh, you know, mandatory vaccines before and you didn't say shit. And it's like, yeah, but I kind of still felt like I had a choice. I kind of still felt like I had religious exemptions. I kind of still felt that I didn't have to do them all at once. I kind of still felt kind of free. And I was okay with it. But I realized that by kind of feeling free, but not really being free, stole all my freedom, Right. These are the things that you're understanding now that you haven't been free in a long time. 
And the minute the government can tell you what you can can make it mandatory for you to put in your body, it's insane. You know, you have to ask yourself a question. If the vaccines were so good and these mandates are so hardcore, then why hasn't the government, right, or the selected administration said, hey, if you want benefits, you need to get the vaccine. Guess what's going to happen? That's going to be fucking war. They will torch the place down. If they mandate vaccines, right, to people that are on benefits, it'll be a fucking shit show. They will torch the place. Those Antifa people that they had sitting there, they will burn their homes down. Remember how they came up? to the, to the cafes and we're standing there with their stupid fists, all aggressive on top of people because they were the wrong color. Right. Remember when they flirted with the idea, we're going to check you if you smoke weed to get benefits. What happened? Yeah. That shit went away real quick. Right. Well, let's talk vaccines. Cause you know, how did they say it? D- no, it's not going to happen. They will torch the place down. Those in poverty will know that they will torch the place down. That's why they started with the bullshit federal employees, federal contractors pushing the dates back, pushing it even further back. Have you gone to the areas that have poverty levels, wages, people that live in Section 8 housing? None of those motherfuckers are getting the vaccine at all. They're like, no, we've seen this movie before. Uh, We're not doing it. So again, if they were really serious about this mandate, why didn't they start there, right? Why didn't they start there? Oh, that's right, because it's unconstitutional. Shit. But what about the federal employees? That's okay. We can bully the fuck out of them. And then they can't say shit. You know, just like we bully soldiers to shut up on talking, right? Remember, I, you know, I had this discussion yesterday. Hunter Biden. Remember, we had gone through his emails where we showed how he was getting all these people, uh, you know, on the same guy that got Jack Posobiec the job was the same guy that got Hunter Biden the job, like approved him because, you know, Hunter Biden did the same job that Jack Posobiec did, which is a, a public affairs officer. Do you remember that? So he joined the Navy, right? And he became a public affairs officer. And here's the thing. He joins the Navy and the first day the motherfucker turns up for his reservist duty, he gets piss tested and pops positive for cocaine and crack. And then, you know, it takes a while and he gets an administrative discharge, but a man that has served with integrity, with, you know, pride, and he may be right. He may be wrong on his being so vocal about it. He's going to get dishonorably discharged. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) Stop it. Stop. You and crackheads get administrative discharges, right? Right. Nobody talking. He popped positive on his first fucking day at work. Okay. And yet this other guy, this Marine that with honor has served his country. He turns around and says, I don't agree with this stuff that's happening. And they throw him in jail. Right. I didn't see anybody throw, you know, Hunter Biden in jail, but they throw this dude in jail and they're going to take away his benefits and they're going to exit him out of the military the way they want to dishonorably as a criminal. But Hunter Biden, no, stop it. Stop it. Can you see the hypocrisy? I mean, if they want to do mandatory vaccines, they need to announce that shit. You want welfare? You need a vaccine because it's all about the health. 
Now, a few of them may cave, but I'll tell you what, is going to be seen as racist. You coming at us so hard that you ain't going to do the. Oh my gosh, it'll be so bad, so bad. Now, oh, hunters and arts, he's not. It was called money laundering. Anyone that made fun of him for art is stupid because they don't understand exactly what happened. But anyway, having said that, Right now, you're at a point where you're trying to maintain your sovereignty. You're putting your foot down, right? And as you see, all of these filings that are happening are because of the Ninth and Tenth Amendment. And the reason that that was important is because that was what the Democrats were asking about when they were confirming the new justices. Why? Yeah, it's a stupid ink blot, isn't it? Ninth and Tenth Amendment. I mean, those should just go away. We don't need them, right? And they're like, well, I don't know. I haven't had any case, you know, to kind of talk about that yet. I feel that every minute, you know, they had to say the right things to skirt it because they wanted to strike the Ninth and Tenth Amendment, which it means that all the rights rely on you. Well, everyone's going the route of the 14th Amendment, which is the right way to go. Right. I think Ninth, Tenth and Thirteenth weeks should resurrect that that involuntary servitude act, uh, amendment. We should we should resurrect that bitch. We're in involuntary servitude. Well, that would that would take a stretch on on doing it, but there's a shit ton of academic papers that say that masks are indicators of involuntary servitude. Lots of papers have been written on how masks were worn on the slaves on the plantation because they wanted them to keep their mouth shut. And to be able to see who the slaves are and who aren't. I mean, what was it that they said? Don't worry, like Obama's people and all of them and Pelosi when they have their dinners and their party, they're they're sophisticated. You're not. They literally said that. They're sophisticated, so they don't have to wear their masks. But you have to wear them. Like, stop it. See, what you've done has terrified them so much that I had that tool. Mike Rothschild, you guys are so, like, your line ends scathe bitches the line ends there no more lineage on that bullshit coming after me and saying ah she wants to impeach obama yeah yeah you guys impeached trump after he was gone you watch us impeach that bitch i don't care how many books he puts out tory books are for money laundering so why did obama just release another book called renegades with Bruce Springsteen, of all of them, didn't he have AIDS and not have AIDS anymore? So did Bon Jovi. And remember Magic Johnson? Now that guy had AIDS, full-blown fucking HIV. Sorry, not AIDS, HIV, right? Full. He was able to play basketball with HIV at the time that they didn't know much about. And he could bleed and spit in somebody's mouth with blood if they knocked heads, you know. I'm just saying stuff like that. He could go play basketball with HIV, but you don't get vaccinated. You can't go play. Stop it. Stop. It's like when you see this shit and you take a step back, you're like, wait a minute. So we let a dude, right, play with no problem. He has HIV, no questions asked. This guy, not sick, no fever, isn't sick at all, has to take something you call a vaccine because it's not, because there's no live virus. You're just putting some new molecular software in his body. He can't play, but the guy with HIV can, no questions. Stop it. Stop it. Stop. And what, what do you mean you want to party? You want to do Thanksgiving? Stop. What, you want Christmas? Well, you better be buying your gifts right now. Because guess what? 
we're going to hold all those tankers hostage, right? And when the port authority goes on strike, dang. And when the money runs out, dang. And, oh, Tori, they just raised this part of Medicare and Medicaid. Don't you get it? They invented COVID as a measure to reduce the cost of Medicare and Medicaid. No better way than to save tax dollars and Medicaid spending and Medicare spending than killing the elderly. That's what's up. Pay attention because that's what's been happening. That is what they've been doing. I mean, look how much Medicare and Medicaid funds left over New York has after Cuomo killed half of the people that were taking it. Hmm? New Jersey did it. It was actually Rudy Giuliani that told me that New Jersey had more deaths than New York. What was Murphy doing? Maybe it was his idea. I mean, whatever, right? Michigan, they killed them so they can get away with not paying them money. And they're still broke. And then they're like, we're giving them a little raise. You know what that reminded me of? Remember when we watched 1984 and the guy had orders that no more than 30% of cocoa rations were to be given. And what did he say? We're raising cocoa rations from 20% to 25%. And it's like, yay. And it's like, they didn't do anything. They were getting 30% anyway, but they didn't tell them. So they were like, yeah, we're raising it like this much. You see, they give you scraps and you clap. Oh my gosh, I could get free toothpaste from the catalog with my Medicaid funds that you give me of $100. And if I don't spend it every three months, I lose it and the state keeps it. Thanks. Thanks for raising that by $2. That's so cool. For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, our older generation that are on Medicare that have um, assistance in paying their Medicare Part B premiums, which is kind of Medicaid, but not enough Medicaid to come and take your house when you die. It's like the kind of Medicaid. Anyway, they also get a benefit where they have like $100 to spend every month from this catalog they send them. And through that catalog, they can buy over-the-counter things like toothpaste, toothbrushes, um, blades, um, aspirin. Now, if you... If you don't use that money, the state keeps it. So if you forget one day, one month to use that and phone up and say, yeah, I'd like, you know, a pack of six toothpastes because that's how they come. Right. Or, you know, um, you know, a jar with like 250 Tylenols that are expiring in two months. But sure, give it to me. It's free. Then the government holds on to it. So they make money. Because a lot of people, one, don't know this benefit exists. Two, don't know how to use that shit. Three, really don't give a fuck. They're just like, I mean, it's just razor blades. So I, I'm just saying that's how much they get. And and this is the, the, the stipend that they gave that increase for that everyone's like, oh, Tori, but they're increasing Social Security. No, 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 no. They're increasing that $100 to be more. And that's probably because the fucking states aren't using it. And no one's tapping that out. You know, nobody ever uses that shit. And these are scams they do so they can cheat money out of people and say, no, look how much we're spending on our elderly population. See, this is where I dispel the bullshit. A lot of people will be like, how do you know that? Because I know everything. I just play dumb a lot. There is nothing <laughs> that I speak of that I don't know. 
And this is it. You want to talk the most vulnerable population right now? It's our 65 and over. They're killing them to reduce the cost so they can't see it. They've been stealing from them like crazy. Like crazy. They're giving them benefits they can't even use. Did you know that if you have Medicaid, you get 12 free taxi rides to and from your doctor? Did you know that? Did you know that your parents or even yourself get 10, 12 free taxi rides to and from the doctor? Did you know that? Some people didn't know that. You actually call and they book it. And for those that don't speak English, you get free motherfucking interpreters to come with you. Right. So you can understand for those that are, you know, uh, you know, speak American sign language. Right. They don't have to bring their friend, dude. No, they have a budget for that shit. And guess what? If they don't use that budget that year, guess who pockets it? They do. And then the people are none the wiser because they spent it. It's like contracting a contractor. You give me a contract, like one contract that I had applied for for one agency. I said I need you know, a million dollars to do this, let's just say, right? The agency then comes back and says, all right, get the job done. I get the job done in a year under a million dollars. Well, I have to show them that I spent it. So I'll just spend that shit. But it doesn't work like that with the federal government. If the state of New York says I need $4 billion for interpreters, right? Because my census says that all these people don't speak English properly. And it's attached to their medical record number or whatever bullshit, right? This is, uh, and I'm sending them things in Chinese, Russian, Greek, Italian. Uh, that's my budget. And they don't use the interpreters from the government, their insurance, that is, Medicare, where they phone up and they're like, hi, I have a urologist appointment. Can you send an American Sign Language interpreter for that date? They put you on hold and then they book it and they tell you, yes, someone will be there. If you don't use that service, that $4 billion goes into your state's pocket, right? Nobody says, give me the receipts. It stays in the state pocket. They keep that money. And you, the federal taxpayer from another state, are none the wiser because they don't have to provide receipts to the federal government because that was allocated by the people in D.C. that they can have that for interpreters and they can have that much for cab rides and they can have that much for nurses. Did you know that if you're on vacation, let's say, let's say you leave and you go to Costa Rica, right? And you're on vacation and you're having a great time, right? And you slip and you fall and you go to the hospital. Can you use your Medicare benefits? Yes, you fucking can. And what else happens? Say you're so broken that you need a nurse to fly back. Do you have to sell your house or get a loan to do it? No. Guess what? There's a fucking budget for that. They will send a nurse from the United States to travel with you free of charge on the fucking airplane. But you wouldn't know that. Why? Because they don't give it to you. Why? Because that's a nice budget they get to keep. See, the fraud is so deep and so far. And I'm just talking about one, one aspect. Just think about it. I'm only talking about the 65 and over, which is 65 to 100. One portion. Huh. What if we start talking about the zero to 64? That shit will blow your mind. So if that's happening in that little section, and we're only talking about health coverage and healthcare. Imagine the education system, what goes on with that.
Imagine the energy system. Imagine the water systems. Imagine the forest systems. Imagine the infrastructure. Imagine, 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 because I could tell you all of that shit. Because guess what? I like to do a lot of reading. You know, I like to know a lot of shit. And I say this a lot of times because I forget a lot. Not important information, but I forget. Well, no, it is important information like where I parked my car or where my keys went or, you know, what day of the month is it? I forget that. But I want you to think. So imagine all those. Now imagine the Department of Defense. Shit. That one probably is the biggest black hole on the planet. Oh, I can go on and on. So let's just focus on, what do they call it? Canvassing, right? Let's canvas. To canvas the government well, right? You should use an area of canvassing, 65 and over. Let's just do healthcare for now. You're fucked. They're robbing us blind and we're letting it happen. So how do we fix that? We get rid of every single motherfucker. We uphold, we like literally destroy the whole system that's there. The whole system. But first, we put our foot down to maintain our ability to be individuals because that is what this attack with this vaccine and the mandates, mask mandates, your individuality, not just your privacy, because you threw that shit away a long time ago. That train and that ship, they're so fucking far gone. You don't even you can't even imagine seeing it. That's how long ago you got rid of that. Right. But your right to be an individual and not a herd of people, an individual, not what's great for society. An individual is what you're fighting for now. Second, you're fighting for that individual that you are to actually have a say in your government. They haven't taken that away from you. Therefore, that's the next thing. This is how we're fixing the 2020 elections. This is how we're going to change the way we elect leader. Then once we have the appropriate person in office in 2022, that's where the hard work starts happening. That's where we start dismantling every single fucking agency one by one. And it's not just on a federal level. It's on a state level. State level. You can't go to the top and decide, oh, I'm just going to fix it. Because then everybody at the bottom gets all the... um the crumbs and let's pretend it's a pyramid, right? At the top is like the federal government. The people that are at the bottom are going to get crushed by all the stones of you mashing it up. So what has to do, it has to be synchronous, right? It's like, what is that called where they dance in the water with their legs in the air all timed and shit? And they wear like these weird nose plugs and look super weird. What's it called? The, <laughs> the, the dancing legs in the pool. That's how it has to be done. Yeah, synchro swimming. There we go. Synchronized swimming. Has to be a synchronized swim. Sans those stupid nose plugs. I swear to God, they're so freaky. Anyway, what we need to do is start working in our states. This is what you're doing. In your states, you're already starting to take control. You're filing your lawsuits. You filed your writ of mandamuses. You're going to your city meeting. You're going to your county meetings. And guess what? You're getting together because locally, you fix one little area. It's kind of like cleaning. You polish. When you have a table that's super dirty, you can't clean the whole fucking table at once. You start at one corner and then it gets nice. And then you're like, oh shit, that place is dirty. Let me expand the cleaning. And that's how it happened. So while you're doing that between 2022 and 2028, right? 
Those are the years, those six years, you're going to be working your fucking ass off as Americans, all of you. You're going to be taking positions. You're going to be voting yourselves in. You're going to be campaigning for each other. No RNC, no DNC. That's all fucking fraud. That's them taking more money. It feels like an MLM scheme, like those, you know, Thrive stickers and shit where you like sell it to your friends. And then you, every time your friend sells it, you make money. And then when your friend's friend sells it, you make money off your friend's friend's friend. This is what they're doing. They're milking us dry and we're letting them do it on all ends while we think they're helping us. So what do we do? We get rid of that pyramid scheme. So how do we do it? We clean the tables in our local counties while we have someone in office that's doing their job. We, you like President Trump because he's bland, you know, straightforward. I'll tell you what, he learned his lesson in, in, in his first one to know that all these motherfuckers are wrong. I can almost guarantee you that when he gets back into office, there is no more general this, uh, you know, general Mattis, mad dog, no, no, no. There's no more, oh, that person, pristine. They worked here, this. He doesn't give a fuck. He's going to be like, hey, you, you're really good at social media. Like, for example, thought crimes. You make great memes. I need you on my social media team. Get on. Hey, um, you do really good research. You know, you, yeah, you in the Idaho group that sat there and found all these laws and shit and how you're organizing. I need that. I need you to work at the state department because I need you to do research on this. That's how it's going to work. It's going to start to be that of the people where every single person that has an amazing talent, whatever that may be, is going to be running the nation. This is how it was intended to be. We will have our small businesses so we can go and break bread and drink good beer. You know, like the planted fag in Ohio owned by two Air Force veterans that are putting their foot down for small businesses. They do small business. Great. The neighbors next door that live to them are great at what? Oh, she's great at, I don't know, uh, collating documentation. Do you know, like, for example, like all the affidavits I got, we had to rearrange them. That took a long time. Some were PDFs, some were PNGs, some were pictures, some were JPEGs, some were this, some were that. She's really great at, 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 at doing all these documents, you know, whatever. Then she gets a job, I don't know, at the Department of Energy putting documents together. That's how you do it. That's how it moves. So while you have the right person in office that knows exactly what they need to do now, and they're dismantling the federal side, you're down at your local city and counties fucking shit up. You are changing. You'll be like, wait a minute. Why does a teacher go to teaching school? I don't think we need to do that. Well, we need, hey, you're a mathematician. You got a master's in math. I need to train you. I need to see if you have the guts to be a teacher. So let's see if you can kind of surmise. Because you know what? Rather than having one teacher with the students and they have 30 kids and they sit there and they're like, let's read stories, wipe your boogers. It could be people that are passionate about topics. Have you ever seen a PhD in history talk? Dude, people that like what they got a PhD in, they are like poets. Poets. You know what I like watching? Harvard lectures. You know why? Because it could be the dumbest fucking shit ever. Like I watched a diversity. I kid you not. I watched a diversity class. And it was the most retarded thing ever. But I was mesmerized because the person that was talking was so passionate about it. You know what? We don't have passionate teachers. 
Like I know that there's a lot of teachers out there that are like, they love it when their students can write, when they can read, but when it gets down to history and, and, and chemistry and math, right? The teachers, unfortunately in high school and junior high school don't have the knowledge to inspire them. I remember in Oregon, I, um, uh, guested, I was a guest teacher for my daughter Hera's class in middle school, um, to, they were talking about chemistry and the teacher said to me, um, you know, I'm having a really big problem with these kids because they're not understanding electrons. Right. And, you know, I wanted to say, well, no offense, right. You did like a year in chemistry. You probably didn't understand it. You did enough just to pass. And if you're not passionate about chemistry and fucking say, dude, electrons are so badass. They quantum leap. They exist in the same place at the same time. This is so cool. Let me tell you how this works, right? You're not going to inspire them. I taught that class and taught them simple shit, Lewis structure models. And I use tables and chairs to show them how uh, the, the electrons are seated and why they're seated like this, right? And then the next day I had calls from tons of other schools in Beaverton teachers saying, Hey, would you mind if you like came by and kind of taught my kids? They were all struggling with that area. And, and, and that's where I realized, you know, with our older children, the young children, they just need early education, which means you understand kids are different. You inspire them on doing, um, you know, um, uh, small, fine motor responses, you know, to write, to read, to color, know the basics. But when they get bigger, right, and they're older and, and, and they're sponge, kids are sponges. You can't have someone that, that's teaching French to my kids. <laughs> I'm sorry. So it's like someone say, say, je parlais. And it's like, no, that's, don't say that. Don't say, or if someone says, yo quiero dos kilos orangas with that accent rather than, you know, the right accent. They're teaching the kids fucking wrong, right? So why are they taking the class? If they're going to teach it wrong, why are they there? I remember um, my eldest daughter, Hera, she had French at, at, at her high school once. And she was like, this is my French teacher. And, and I was like, oh, you know, and I started speaking in French. She goes, oh, you're speaking a bit fast. And I was like, and you're fucking teaching this? So I just turned around and walked. And Hera was like, that was so rude. And I was like, fuck this shit. I said it straight out. I was like, no, <laughs> no. So the problem that we have is our education too. So we need to fix that too as parents. I'm, I, 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 I'm focusing on health and education, health for the elderly and education right now. So you guys understand that it's not just the corrupt school boards that are there to manage a shit ton of money, right? And then hire teachers that aren't really equipped to teach. They're hiring people out of college to sit and teach your kid math that if they fuck up the way they teach it, they will never be able to do math. They won't. It has to be done in the right way. And everything in our nation, the health of our nation right now is not only fucked up, it's dysfunctional. Right. And the fact that it's been operating for so many decades, completely dysfunctionally, it, you know, it makes you wonder, think of how many layers of shit you have to do and how many things affect you as one individual. That should tell you more than anything. Something's wrong. 
You got, you know, you pay this tax, that tax, that's a school tax. Like, what does the school tax do? Well, it goes to school. Why do they need tax work? Because they're doing what? I don't know. I think it's buses. Is it for the buses? No, it's not really. Nobody knows. So you have all these layers. You have all these obligations as an individual citizen to abide by. Your kids do too. So many things affecting you that you have zero control over. That doesn't feel good, does it? You have zero control over a majority of things that are affecting you and your family right now. And that's the problem. Zero control. That should terrify everyone. Zero control. You're not allowed to collect rainwater on your own property. When the fuck did they own raindrops? You can't put a wind windmill thing for power or anything on your property because they said so. Like, how does that even work? I'm just trying to, to, to give you this thought for the weekend. Think of yourself in, as an individual and how many things you're doing and you don't even realize. How many things you're funding that you don't even realize. You're paying Social Security so that you can have health care when you're over 65 and have some money from a pension that usually is like three hundred to one thousand dollars. Who the fuck can live off of that? Nobody. And our elderly have to pay medications. Oh, and by the way, they're tiered. Tier one, two, three, four, five. If you need a medication in tier five, you're fucked. Four, you're fucked. Three, you're fucked. Two, you're still paying $29 for a three-month supply. For one, you're going to be paying pennies on the dollars. They're generic, but you're probably not even getting medication because that shit's coming from Teva Pharmaceuticals in Mexico, and it's being mailed to you from the pharmacy. So all you know, it could just be fucking cornstarch and a pill, and you have no way of knowing that because it's got to be mailing. So anyway, all of you understand the gravity of the situation that we're all in as an individual within this nation, right? And we all understand that the point has come that it can't go forward anymore. It's not only broken, it's completely dysfunctional. Like, like it's so broken, it's like a bicycle that has duct tape on it. And instead of tires, it's got like squares and they're still trying to make the shit work. It just doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work. It's the same old people saying, oh, no, look, it's working. And you're just like, what? It's like, you know, <laughs> have you seen it in the movie? <laughs> Where, <laughs> think of it. It's a bicycle with two wheels, but instead of wheels, you've got squares, and they're all aligned with duct tape, and the damn seat has no seat. You're sitting on a thing that's going up your ass every time you're driving that shit, and they're like, hey, do it with a smile on your face. It looks fine because they're the ones in charge. So they don't care if that seat's uncomfortable and it's just a pole going up your butt while you're on that bicycle with square wheels. They want you to think it works. You got to make it work because they're not going to fix it and they're too comfortable. So we need to fix it. And it's not just by fixing our elections. It's by ensuring that we are all individuals, but collectively work together. We are all individuals, but we contribute to our community equally. We're not some, you know, what is that called? The communes where we all live together on one line. You know, that doesn't sound so bad in this day and age with this dysfunctionality. I would totally go to the other side of Antarctica and just park there. Weather's great, I hear. But I would say that it would be a great thing for us to just focus on making sure that we stand our ground on our individualities, on our own bodies, 
on our ability to be individuals and not be part of whatever system they want. It's almost as if they're trying to capture your soul. <laughs> you ask me, it's kind of like that. So <laughs> there was a saying, and I've said this before. My grandmother used to say, um, you know, which means if you keep riding on a pole, it'll eventually go up your ass. So basically riding a pole means like, you know, like a unicycle with no wheels that I'm like hopping on a pole. And at some point it's going to slip and it's going to go up your butt. This is where we're at America. We're at the part where it's completely up our butt. It's completely impaled all of us. Okay. And we're just like, our hair's on fire. We've got poles up our butt. We don't know if we're going or coming. And it's like we're going on with everyday things, grabbing on to what we feel is normal when we know it's not working. It's a bicycle with no seat and squares for wheels. So uh, what we have been doing together with these writs and these conversations and your offline meetings is the beginning of the resurrection of America, making it great again, as it was intended, as it was intended. And I think the first dry run that President Trump attempted was, uh, was done so with complete and utter faith in humanity. But the thing is, he was up against people that aren't really human. And um, they were not going to let it go. He actually thought that they would soften their approaches and that they would stand by their constituents because there might have been some ounce of goodness in them. But... I think President Trump realized that there wasn't. And this is why the left and the right despised him. And I think many of them despised him more so because they were jealous that he was doing things that they should have been doing. And by him doing it now and them in office for so many years and not makes him look bad. And so they helped, they hoped, you know, when he ran, they ignored him. Remember, then they couldn't ignore him. So they smeared him and then they pulled his tongue out. They've impeached this guy twice going on three. Now they're trying, they're really trying to make sure he can't get back in office. But even if they succeeded, he would have been back in office because we said so. Remember these people don't run our country. We do. Remember these people are nothing. They are nothing without you. That's why I get upset when I see Parents going up to the school boards and being all respectful to them. Fuck them. They don't deserve your respect. When they're sitting there with masks and saying that they need to, you know, put masks on your kid's face. Fuck them. They don't deserve your respect. They forget that they work for you. They forget who they're talking to. Their boss. They're not higher than you. I don't know. You know, they even have like these tables where they raise themselves higher than you. As if like they're above all, look at me, I'm at the top. Like, no, who the fuck are you? You're the bitch that lives on so-and-so street and got elected and, and, and you're not doing anything. You don't deserve my respect. You don't deserve it. And see, the thing is, 
if it didn't tip you off with what the corrupt Garland did, painting parents as domestic terrorists, you're not seeing how hard you're winning. Like he came out in public and said that shit. You don't call a parent a domestic terrorist because they're complaining to their school board. Think about it. The school boards complained to the Justice Department that you guys are showing up and demanding accountability. I I haven't seen any parent walk in there with an Uzi because parents don't do that shit. I haven't seen anyone, you know, loot it and take their TVs and chairs and shit and Chanel bread. No, I didn't see that. But what I did see is a lot of parents in there telling them, go fuck yourself. You're not doing that shit to my kid. And they're sitting there saying, I'm in this chair, so fuck you. And you're just like, "Uh, yeah, I paid for that chair. (laughs) Your your ass is definitely getting off of it. So how is it that it is that you're a terrorist? Why? Because they know that nothing can stop what's coming. And that is only step one. Step one. We're in a time where you're a terrorist for saying, I don't want you to have my white kid get down on their knees and lick someone's shoe and be ashamed for being white. And then you have them telling your kid, my kid is black and fucking proud. They're not a victim. I work my ass off every day. How dare you teach my kid that they're less of a human and that you're helping them not be less of a human. No parents are speaking up and they're labeled as domestic terrorists. That should tell you how much they fucking fear you. They fear you. The judges, damn, they know we're coming. Look at us. We have a lot of people in our groups. We can all chip in to each other. I chip in. Uh, I know Ohio did their whole thing where they have a fun. We could just keep suing the shit out of people. We can all do that. What did you, I'm sorry. Did you, Mr. City Councilman say that you're not going to do this? Well, I'm going to see you because you helped your brother like build that thing over there. And that wasn't really allowed from the other people when they were on the County, but you just did it. Cause that's your brother's girlfriend's second cousin, whatever thing. So I'm going to sue you for abuse of tax dollars. There you go. Lawfare. Damn. It's so effective. And I know that within your groups, it's really hard to know who to trust right? This is why it's important you guys get together. Cause I know there's a ton of, I know that there was this one person in one group that even though the meetings were all recorded said, Tori told me to like do this. No, I didn't. There are people raising funds on their own, doing their thing. Don't listen to them. You guys do that shit yourself. I don't go into States telling them what to do. You do it yourself. You do it all yourself. Cause guess what? You're more than capable. If not you, then who? And if not now, then when? Maybe when soiling green is a real thing, that's the question. So on that note, I'm going to let you guys go. Remember, Sunday is movie night. I don't know what we're going to play yet, thinking about it. And I won't put something morbid like 1984. But we did kind of ease that off with the um, alienated, which was quite lighthearted and and kind of a disclosure thing. Um, so we'll have movie night on Sunday. Uh, for those of you that are, that are, I know that I already have a lot of federal contractors. I know that the moderators are creating, uh, rooms for each, um, uh, department and agency that we have. I mean, I don't even know where I want to put CIA. Like, should I just put a ghost as a picture? 
Um, but we'll, we have created those that you've requested, uh, those chats that I've been tagged and I've seen them. I've forwarded them so they can get it done. I want you guys to know that a lot of work was done this week. Oh, and I do have that video that I want to show you because it's really important you see him. <clears throat> that you see the AG and what he did with his nunchucks because I know a lot of people kind of maybe saw it and oh, this is ridiculous, but think about it. I mean, I'd totally do nunchucks. I probably would have knocked myself out though. Take a listen and watch what he did. It's Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich. We've gotten a lot of calls, a lot of emails, but there's one thing people definitely want to see. They want to see more chucks. People, you want more chucks? I love it. How did no one else love it? Why did they, I'm just saying, I know a lot of people were like, this is ridiculous. Cause even, even my friend Garrett said that he was like, there's a clown show. I'm like, no dude, that's badass. Don't, don't go with the status quo from before you even heard Greg Gutfield. He's like, Oh, we curse a lot. Yeah. Is that it's about that time that we're all angry. Right? Everything changes. It's a little bit cringy, right? It is cringy, but I like it. I love it. I love it that he did something totally personable. And he's like, yeah, you want to see me fight? Watch me fight with my nunchuck. I mean, how many of you can do nunchucks like that? I can't. I can't. I definitely do. <laughs> I could see myself <laughs> knocking myself out and giving myself a black eye. <laughs> it would be terrible. I'm just saying, I, I, I kind of wish AGs were approachable like that. Just saying. Doesn't mean he's a good guy. I'm just saying that he's a bold guy. And that's exactly what we need right now is bold, right? We need bold. So, okay. So on that note, I'm going to bid you guys goodbye. I wanted to tell you some more stuff, but I think it'll just wait till Monday or Tuesday because we got to get some things doing. Now, if you understand the way you find things you're looking for is by standing by each other.
Just stay. 